This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, man? What's up? What's up, man? Not much. I'm beat. Yeah. (laughs) If you guys don't know, we record these typically on like weekdays. Weekdays, late at night. We start filming these about 8, 8.30. Yeah, typically. And uh, because it's a weekday, it's typically a work day. Yeah, these these podcasting nights are uh they're 14, 15, 16 hour days for us. So make sure you share. <laughs> we <laughs> Reward put, us for our hard work. We put hard hard work into this. Yeah. But if we do it because we love you guys. Yeah. I will say it's a whole lot easier to get through a long work day when you have a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And I get the special privilege of playing golf with our grandfather tomorrow. Yeah, so it's a little bit easier to bear through a hard day. The, the the listeners couldn't see my face. I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah. I got to work on the trailer tomorrow. Clayton's got the stank eye going at me. A little bit. You guys on YouTube saw it. But okay. So we're still in the um, in the current series that we're in. Yep. Um, we were talking about parable, or... We were talking about the Beatitudes, and now we're talking about some parables. Yeah, parables are interesting because um, I don't think there's only one interpretation for them. Yeah. I think that's kind of the reason that Jesus talks that way. Now, there is one parable, the parable of the sower, Mm -hmm. that Jesus actually gives us the interpretation for. Right. So maybe that one you have to say, okay, like there's maybe one interpretation because Jesus kind of gave it to us. Mm. But the other ones, Jesus has this dialogue in here with the disciples in chapter 13. It's like, I speak this way so that not everyone understands. Yeah. Now you got to wrestle with that. Is that that Jesus actually doesn't want everyone to understand? Or is it more that the message is worth digging for? Yeah. And it's a... A weeding exercise of sorts. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a a lot of sense. Um, It does make you have to wonder, though, like, is he saying that this teaching is only for the people who want to receive it, you know? Uh, Or at least are willing to to, put an effort in to to understand understand it. And then again, it it seems that some people understand and some people don't. Um, There is a spiritual element of it that that your heart is ready and tended when the message comes. Um, If you have a hardness of heart, uh, there's only so much that the Spirit can do in order to prep that heart to receive the message. And so it's this balance, give and take kind of thing. And I think parables for Jesus do a really good job of um, masking his identity for his enemies right? Uh, while still giving him the opportunity to preach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask a question real, real quick. Yeah. Something that I'd been told that um, I didn't know for a long time, but now, like, you know, part of the deconstruction thing, like, yeah. you got to go and ask these questions. Um, I was told that, 
um, generally Jesus was followed around by more people than just the disciples. I think that's true. Jesus frequently has more people than just his disciples around him. Mm. But Luke does a really good job of showing us. It says Jesus went away to pray. Mm. Um, one thing we got to remember is that uh, Jesus is a traveling kind of nomad right. type person. And you can kind of only follow a person for so long when you have a real life. Right. So, no, I don't think Jesus always had someone with him. Um, actually, a lot of the time it, it seems like he doesn't have anyone with him except the disciples. And even them, at least in Matthew's narrative, he actually sends them out away from him. Right. So, yeah, no, I don't I don't think Jesus always had gangles of people around it. And that's even furthered by the narrative because it says oftentimes in a great crowd – Great, not like Jesus had an upstanding citizens in his crowd. Right. But like there's a large number of people here. Like maybe I should talk to them. Yeah, the, the only reason I asked is because lots of times when he is given these parables, sometimes it's to a crowd, sometimes it's to just specifically said the disciples. That typically would probably mean from the narrative that I had heard that there are more people around than just the disciples. Yeah. Jesus is uh, a teacher. So he frequently finds himself with people other than just the disciples, but they go away. Right. Um, and most of the time Jesus only gives interpretations to his disciples. Right. So tell the parable to everybody and they'll give the interpretation to just his, just his disciples. So there's got to be at least a significant amount of time where he can be just with them. Think about the Mary and Martha story, right? Mm -hmm. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, and they're at Martha's house. Well, her her house can't really take a whole lot of people, right? So right. at least in the evenings in their lodging, think about the Passover meal, right? They're alone in that upper room. Yeah, I think Jesus had a substantial amount of time where he was just with his disciples. Okay, so maybe then it's not fair to say that... I was thinking that maybe the reason he tried to hide some of the meanings is and just give the interpretations to the disciples is so that the people in the crowd might have to wrestle with, with it, or they might have to... Well, I think that's true. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right on. Uh, I thought you were more asking me about the timing of how often Jesus had massive crowds around him. Well, it was a little bit of both. Okay, yeah. So I do think you're right that he told the parables to the crowds so that they could wrestle with it. But I also equally don't think he always had people around him. That's fair. Okay. That answers my question. All right. So diving into this parable, um, this is a really interesting text. Um most parables are, but beginning of verse 24, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to that phrasing for the next eight weeks uh, up until Palm Sunday. We're going to look at, um, we're going to look at several of these passages where it says the kingdom of heaven might be compared to or the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus tells a story. Um, 
and it's it's kind of a it, it's a unique story. Most of them are agrarian. Yeah. They're kind of like about planting and farming and maybe stuff that most of our listeners aren't familiar with. But they were really relevant to the time. And originally, when I was planning this series out five months ago or whatever, I wanted to try to rewrite these. Mm. So I wanted to try to take the core message and rewrite them into a more applicable um, parable for a, a contemporary society. And it's just really hard. I would almost argue that it can't be done. I think it can be, and I still hope to do it one day. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's just really, really hard. There's so many nuances of what Jesus is doing that you have to be able to replicate in the new story. And I just didn't feel like I was able to do it this go round. And so I'm not doing that. But the reason that I'm looking at them is because he's comparing this story to the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is an, uh, an already not yet reality, right? It, it's partially here, but it's not fully here, right, right? right? So some of the parables are for the time to come, and other parables are for here, and almost all of them contain some element of both, which is the case here. So he says, Kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed wings among the weeds among the wheat, and then went away. All right, so for our listeners, what's happening here is there's a guy. He's a farmer. He owns a field. And uh, he did all the hard work of getting his field ready to be planted. And then he goes and he sows. He, he plants his wheat out in the field. But somebody that doesn't like him, his enemy, comes. And in the middle of the night, so uh, let's stop and talk about that element of it real quick. Typically, when do farmers do their work? In the day. In the day. Why would someone do something at night? Because they don't want to be seen. And why would someone not want to be seen? Because what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, you're doing something wrong, nefarious, something like that. And we, I mean, we still get elements of this today, but you got to remember, there's no, uh, no security cameras, no lights, uh, the light bulb hadn't been invented. There's no electricity, like none of those things. So when it's night, it's dark. It's night. I mean, you can get away with just about anything. Yeah. At night, and so what Jesus is is saying here is that there's one person that has integrity. There's one person that's without integrity. There's one person that does things when they can be seen. There's one person that does things when they can't be seen. There's one person that does good. There's one person who does nefarious acts. And so, and while everybody's asleep, an enemy came and sowed wings among weeds among the wheat, and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Okay. Interesting, right? Um, 
quite interesting, even just in a contemporary society. Um, We weed our gardens all the time. Yeah, it's supposed to be a good thing. You would think so, right? I mean, that's how... I mean, it's funny. I was listening to your episode with with Adam on pneumatology today. And y'all were talking about the Holy Spirit um, in um, the shack uh, weeding the garden. Yeah, she's a gardener. Yeah, like... That's supposed to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm I'm shooketh. Like well, and it's I think there's a few things at play here, but it it could be, you know, once again, we're thinking of like these little four-leaf clover kind of weeds, right? right. Uh, it might be different if you had some kind of like thick weed, like a ragweed or something that that had a root system that could potentially right. upset fair. your wheat. Right, so maybe maybe we're not thinking about it in the same um, agrarian culture, but I did think it was odd that Jesus would say no in uprooting the weeds, or at least in the story, uprooting the weeds would disturb the wheat. Right. Okay, and so he says, "Let them grow together until the harvest." And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So I feel like, just a shot in the dark here. Okay. This has been misinterpreted at one point or another. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm I, sure I could totally see where this is going that um, to, to, to talk about the, the evil in the world and those people are going to burn. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the piece of it that, that people would, would take. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy setup to see, Yeah, right? You've got the good, the good bearing and the bad bearing. Um, so you have. The kingdom of heaven can be paired to this narrative. Yeah. There are things that are good and there are things that are bad. Yeah. And for whatever reason, taking away the bad, at least in Jesus' mind, would upset the good. Well, it does pose the philosophical question if everything is good, is anything good? Apparently for Jesus, Jesus thinks you need the bad in order to see the good. Yeah. Um, well, it's that, that, um, that Einstein thing, right? Um, you can't have light without dark. Yeah. The contrast. Yeah. You need the contrast. If, if everything is one thing, then, then is it really is anything thing. at all? Yeah. Or it's just, I mean, it just is. Yeah. So at least in Jesus' mind, that's the case with good and evil. Um, I mean, because if we remember, Adam and Eve didn't make it very long without an evil. Right. Right. Um, they had temptation. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually have evil until they disobeyed. Um. And as I was thinking about this and looking through, you know, there's a lot of things that we call sin 
um, that are sin. They they are wrong. But they're also only wrong against ourselves. Right. There's a lot of sin that is harmful to others. Yeah. But there's also a lot of sin that's only harmful to ourselves. And Jesus spends quite a bit of time talking about some of those things. Um, and yet, everything that is good helps someone outside of ourselves. Doing good really is a light into the dark world. Mm. Um, and so I wonder... Um, I do wonder in this text if if leaving them together I don't know if you know a little bit more about botany isn't that what it's called uh, let me let me know in the comments but Weeds don't choke out everything good. Not always. Lots of times the good can overcome the weeds. And the and the man, the at least in this parable, the master, the farmer, he has no fear that the weeds will overtake the wheat. Now for whatever reason, his fear is that uprooting the weeds, taking them out will upset the wheat. And so it begs the question, do we need evil, do we need darkness, do we need pain, do we need suffering in order to notice and identify the goodness of God? I think that's absolutely true. I think as Christians... The thing that I can tell here, obviously the easiest conclusion to draw at the end is that there's going to be a separating. Yeah. There's going to come a time where the weeds, those who were without integrity, who were, were sown by the evil one, the enemy, all those types of things, those people, those situations... They're going to come to a place of reckoning. Yeah. And do I think they're actually going to be burned? Heck if I know, man. There's so much imagery in that, lake of fire, all that kind of stuff. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know about that. What I do know is that there's going to be a hurting, and some people are going to be herded into a place without integrity, without goodness, other people are going to be herded into a category with integrity, with goodness. And so that's that's the end kind of narrative. But the bigger thing that I see here is that we have good and we have bad. Yeah. A plant doesn't get to choose what seed it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we do. Yes and no. Um, so I see. I see where you're going. Um, but let me let me phrase it this way. Maybe you don't get to choose where you come from. 
You just get to choose who you become. So I'm not talking about socially or that kind of thing. No, no, no. Just spiritually, the seed that's planted in us, like we can, we can choose God. Yeah. Right. We have that choice. We're not. That's fair. We're not yeah. bound by the quote unquote seed to carry the metaphor that we're given. Right. Um, no, I guess that's fair. Yeah. And so with that, as as people of God, as wheat, um, I think this parable speaks to two things. We can't be afraid to coexist with the weeds. Mm. Yeah. Um, we can't separate the weeds out into their own field. Um, they exist within us. Our weeds exist with us, alongside us, touching us. Um, and it's not our job to pluck them out. Mm. It's not our job to get rid of them. It's our job to coexist with them. And in coexisting with them, the master has told us yeah, I don't fear that the weeds are going to overtake the wheat. The wheat's going to stand strong. The wheat's, wheat's going to grow. It's going to be good. And there's going to be a harvest. So I think the, the first piece is we can't be afraid to coexist with the weeds. The second of all, we have to be the good for the weeds. We have to be good in spite of the weeds. We can't, our job is not to, for the sake of the metaphor, our job is not to get into our own field that we've protected from all the weeds and all the things outside. Our job's to coexist and show something to the weeds. This is where the metaphor breaks down because all metaphors are limiting, but if you carry this metaphor out, goodness can overcome evil. If not, the heck are we doing here? So in the same way, what I get out of this, in the way that I want our people to read this, this parable, is that our job is to be who God has instilled in us as people of love and hospitality that are comfortable coexisting with the weeds. And notice the weeds and wheat, the weeds and the wheat are different, but the weeds and the wheat don't inherently know that they're different. It's the master, it's the workers who decide what's different. That's not our job. Our job's to be good. Our job's to do the thing that God planted us to do. So at Wellhouse, that's to be real, it's to be relational, it's to be a place of restoration, wholeness, healing. Um, let's let God work on the sorting. Let's work on the goodness.